Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Be in verses 21 through 26. Living faith is saving faith. James chapter 2. Verses 21 through 26, living faith is saving faith. And we take off tonight, we find ourselves on the other side of the argument from where we were last week. So some of you remember last week we were on the subject that dead faith is no faith. This week we look to living faith is saving faith. Now just right off the bat, the title seemed like this is going to be a more enjoyable message But let's keep in mind to this point that we have been examining as James writes. He's writing to the persecuted, the scattered abroad believers. He is writing primarily to believers. That's why he keeps referring to them as his brethren, as his kindred. And so they're fellow laborers, people who would identify themselves as Christians. And as he writes to them, he's telling them, how is your faith playing out in this scattered land? How is your faith playing out in your life as you've been persecuted, you've been pushed away from your home, you're scattered abroad, you're you're kind of a sojourner or a traveler almost, you don't have a normal home, and how is your faith playing out where you are and are you examining your faith? Are you living the way a Christian should be living? Are you responding to troubles the way that you should? Are you responding to temptations the way that you should? Are you hearing the word of God and responding in humility? Or are you angry when you hear the word of God? Do you hear the word of God and bristle back and fight against it because you want to cling to what you are? Or are you hearing the word of God and receptive to it and humble to change yourself when the word of God is different from the way that you're living? Do you treat others without partiality? Do you treat everyone the same way? And last week we looked and said, does your faith cause you to live differently? Does it cause you to do things in your life that you didn't do before you knew Jesus? We cannot overlook the thought that was brought out last week. And that there is a type of belief in Jesus. An intellectual belief. A belief that even the demons possess. A belief... That, that even those who do not really know Jesus and not have been transformed by a renewing of their mind, that have not been saved, but they still have an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. And we said that just because they have an intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is, they can have a dead faith, a faith in their intellect and a faith in themselves without having a transformational faith in Jesus Christ. And so James began to write last week and he began to point out to us through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some ways that we can look at our faith and say, well, is our faith a saving faith or is our faith a dead faith? And one of the things he said is not that we are saved by our works, but that we do our works based on the fact that we are saved. We saw last week that dead faith would have an empty confession. It was this claim to salvation in which following that claim to salvation, there was no evidence of change in the person's life. They didn't do anything different than they did before they claimed to know Jesus. And so the confession was seemingly empty. We said there would be a false compassion in a dead faith. He talked about the hungry and the poor, 
the one who didn't have the clothes, the one who didn't have the food that was coming into your midst. And we said that false compassion where you would say to them, I hope you get fed and I hope you get warm, but I'm not moved to do anything about it. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm moved to look down at you. I'm moved to shun you aside. So James said, that's not a real compassion. That's a useless compassion. That's not a real, a real compassion would go and help someone. But this false compassion would say to them, good luck. Hope it works out for you. You shouldn't be in the position that you're in anyway. Dead faith also, we said, would have a shallow conviction. And this is where James used the example. He said, you say that you have faith? You say that you have faith, but you don't have works? Show me your faith. We said last week, there's no way to show faith without works. It's just not possible. If you're not going to do anything as a result of your faith, then it's impossible to show your faith without your works. And James said, fine. You can't show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith through my works. I will show you that I believe and I will show you that I've been changed because my life is markedly different than it was before I met Jesus. I see things different. I do things different. I think different. I am different as a result of my relationship with Jesus. And I can show you what a wonderful change in my life has been brought since Jesus came into my heart. I can show you that my life is different. Now, I want to be clear. I said it already. I can't say it enough. In no way is James contradicting the writings of Paul about grace. He's not saying that we work in order to become saved. We don't earn our salvation. We don't do anything. We can't do enough to get saved. But he's saying, as a result of the fact of what Jesus has already done, as a result of what Jesus has done in my life, I will serve him. And you will be able to see that in my life because I'm going to do things differently as a result of what Jesus did for me. Your faith in Christ should move you to live differently than you did before you got saved. People that knew you before you knew Jesus should look at you now and say, what happened? What happened to that guy? What happened to her? They don't live the way that they did before. And so tonight we're going to dive into a living faith. So please stand as we honor the reading of God's holy and inerrant word from James chapter 2 beginning in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God... And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead also. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you would do what only you can. And that is allow the preached word to be received by your people. God, let me say nothing in error. And let your Holy Spirit reign among us this evening. And God, we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for what you do in our next few minutes together. 
It is in your precious name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So as we dive into this living faith, James gave us a few examples of dead faith. He's going to give us a few examples of living faith as well. Just a few right off the bat. And so he starts off with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, our father. Abraham, our father. It was not Abraham, our father. And so immediately he starts to give us an identity that we need to deal with. Abraham, our father. So what does that mean exactly? There's a possibility that James, being a Jewish man himself and writing primarily to Jewish people, that he would be writing and referring to Abraham from kind of a racial stance or a cultural stance as the father of, of Israel, as the one through which the Israel and Jewish people would have come. They would have recognized Abraham kind of as Father Abraham there. And that would be possible if James were writing that way, but I believe there's more to it than that. I believe that when, that when James is pinning the words, Our Father, and attaching them to Abraham, he's referring not just to Jewish people, but to all those who would believe in Christ. Jew, Gentile, the Jew or the Greek, all those would be included as the sons of Abraham, as adopted sons and daughters of Abraham through the seed of Christ. And so he would kind of start to identify as we'd, we'd come into that loop, we say, Abraham, our father. And so he's the father of many nations and we as people of faith come under that. It's kind of like uh, when people would say that, that George Washington... Kind of, kind of use this mindset a little bit. That George Washington is the father of our country, right? People say that in America, George Washington is the father of our country. Well, that's, in no way does it literally mean that by blood, George Washington is a forefather of all of us. We're not all blood descendants of George Washington. That would be absolutely, positively impossible for us to all be direct blood descendants of George Washington. But... When they say that he's the father of our country, they kind of, what they're saying is that he kind of embodies what an American person wants to come under. So how we identify, and George Washington being the first president and having the virtues and the qualities that we would hope that our presidents would have, that we would say, he's the father of our country and therefore we come under as he's our father. And so kind of with Abraham, we see that, that we come under this believing in God, come in faith, and he's the father of of the faithful, kind of. He's the father of the faithful. But then he says something about the father of the faithful that's a little bit controversial if we're not careful. All them words run together. Okay. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? He said, Jason, you just spent a long time talking about how we don't get saved by works. So is the Bible contradicting itself? What are we going to do with this scripture? How are we going to deal with it? Well, we're going to deal with it. That's what we're going to do. Because I know that when I say that in verse 21 right there, it says that our father Abraham justified by works when he offered Isaac. You, you're, you're kind of, your evangelistic fibers start to stand up. The hairs on the back of your neck start to bristle and you start to say, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you say justified by works. That starts to... That starts to take on one of those whole different religious movements. We don't believe that here in the Baptist church. But stay with me just a second. Because I can promise you that the Bible does not contradict itself in any way. So this is not contradictory, but just stay with me. Romans 4 says to us that if Abraham had been justified by his works alone, that he would have something of which for himself to glory and it not be God's. James says Abraham was justified by works. Romans says that if 
Abraham had been justified by his works alone, that the glory would belong to him and not to God. And so which is it? Now, if we had several weeks, we could look into all of Romans chapter 4. We could look into all of Galatians chapter 3. But I just want to try to put kind of a, a summation together, kind of put it together. So from Galatians 3 and verses 6 and verse 11, this is what it says. In verse 6 it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So he believed God and then it was imputed, righteousness was imputed to him. That kind of means it was put in his account, so to speak. At the time he believed God, the righteousness of God was given to him, put in his account. But then it goes on in verse 11 to say, no man is justified by the law or by the works. No man is justified by the law and the just shall live by faith. All right, so the overall sum of Scripture says that Abraham's salvation, Abraham's justification was a result of grace. It was a result of the grace of God. No man is justified by his works. No man, the just, must live by faith. So it says that Abraham's salvation was by faith and grace. So what is James talking about when he says justified by works? So let's keep in mind what James is doing. Because it's important, that's the reason we take it scripture by scripture, verse by verse, thought by thought, pretense by pretense. What is James in the middle of right here? Well, keep in mind, he's in a discussion where he's just said, hey, show me your faith without works. I'll show you by faith, by my works. And then he goes right into Abraham and he says, hey, consider Abraham. Now, why did he choose Abraham? Well, one, because everybody would have identified with Abraham. It would be like uh, down here in Tennessee, if you were trying to talk about how good a quarterback somebody was, you'd say, hey, consider Peyton Manning. This guy is as good as Peyton Manning was in high school. And immediately everybody would go, wait a minute. This guy's a good quarterback. If you were up north, you'd say, consider Tom Brady. This guy's as good as Tom Brady was in high school. I know, I agree with you. <laughs> but if you were up north, you wouldn't do that. You'd go, ah! All right, so he's using this at Abraham as an example. He's saying, hey, I want you to consider Abraham. Consider Abraham. Not because he was saved by his works, not because he earned his salvation, but his works, according to Genesis 15, 3, it says that Abraham believed God, righteousness was inputted in his account, and so he believed God and it saved him. So he was saved by his faith, but... But what did Abraham do once he was saved by his faith? He followed the statutes of God. He left his homeland. He went to do the things that were difficult to do. He put his faith in God. He moved his family from where they had known to where they were going. When it came time to sacrifice and God said, Hey, take your son, your only son Isaac, put him on the altar and bring that knife down upon him. Abraham said what? Okay, that's what I'll do. And so how do we recognize? What does he say? And he said, I want you to consider Abraham. He was justified in the fact that after he believed and was saved, he went about doing the things that God commanded him to do. And you could see his salvation in his works. You could see that Abraham was a man of faith by the things that that man of faith did. You didn't look at Abraham and go, I wonder where his hope is. You said, I see Abraham and I know that his hope is in the Lord. You can see it. Now I want you to think about his faith on display with Isaac. If you look back into that story, it's one of my favorite 
kind of little sentences in the Bible that's often overlooked. When he talks to his servant, before he goes up on the mountain, he looks at his servant. I want you to think about what he says. He says, "Me, you stay here. Me and the boy are going there, and we'll be back. Now think about that. She's amazed already. Two weeks old, she loves that story. Think about the, the, the depth of that comment. Abraham had been told to go and sacrifice your son on that mountain, but he told his servant, we're going up there and we'll be back. Make sure you catch that. We're going. I'm supposed to kill him when I get there, but we're coming back. That tells me that Abraham had enough faith in God to believe one of two things. He believed, one, God was going to provide a sacrifice, which he did if you know how the story went. Or he may have even said, even if God asked me to sacrifice, we're going to see the very first case of resurrection of the dead right here on this mountain. Somehow or another, me and the boy are going there, and me and the boy are coming back, and I'm going to be obedient to God the whole time. I'm going to do what God commands me because God has never let me down, and I am faithful to God. And so Abraham, James is writing, hey, you want to see... You want to see this faith and this works thing and how, how it really works? Look at Abraham. Why is he the father of faith? Because he was a man who lived by faith after he got saved. After righteousness was imputed on him. He had nothing more to earn from God in terms of righteousness. You can't be any more righteous than righteous accounted to God. But as a result of that, Abraham lived his life by faith that God was going to provide for him and take care of him. James writes in verse 24 something that I think is, is somewhat paramount. He says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. So I want to tread carefully, and that's why I say it's kind of paramount. James is talking about looking at Abraham. And he's essentially saying, we're saved by faith, but it doesn't stop there. Once you're saved, if you're really saved, you're going to do some things different. You're going to do some things. People are going to be able to tell that something has changed. And keep in mind, James is writing to a scattered Christians. If you're not different, if nothing has changed, then maybe you need to go back and check your faith in the first place. So if you're able to go through your life living exactly the way that you did before your confession of Christ, then you need to go back. I'm not saying you are or you aren't saved. I'm saying that what the Bible is telling us is that our lives should be markedly different. If they're not, we need to go back and look at what happened. Because you cannot be the same after you encounter Jesus as you were before. It is not possible. You say, well, what about, what about, what about? No. It is not possible. Can you sin? Yes. Can you slip? Yes. Can you fall? Yes. Can you go through seasons of backslide? Yes. But you know what a child of God will do when they fall? They will yearn to get back to God. They will yearn to get back to God. God, you will not want to waller in the pigsty very long. You'll want to go back to your father's house. You will want to get back to God.
So James starts, though, and I think it's really cool the way he does this. He starts with Abraham. Is there a person in this house who had not heard of Abraham before we started? Of course you'd all heard of Abraham. The father of many nations. The man of faith. Mr. Faith, you might even say. And so James starts out and he's talking about the patriarch Abraham. The father of the faith. The man that everybody respects. The man that everybody looks to. The man that all of the people that were receiving this letter (coughs) would have immediately identified with is faith. Oh, Abraham, father Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. Everybody would have got that. But then in verse 25, James goes from using a good man to using an evil woman to make his point. What's he saying? Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified? Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified? Notice he puts that. Did you know that everywhere Rahab is mentioned in the Bible, she's mentioned as Rahab the harlot? She just can't escape that identity, can she? There is one place, though, where she's, she's not, and I'll tell you about it in just a second. She just can't escape that identity of an evil woman. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. So he went from Abraham, kind of using this guy up top, to using this description of this woman who on the social order would have been at the bottom of the barrel. Rahab, the one who ran an in place that was a house of ill repute. She was a prostitute. She would run a business of prostitution. That's how she made her living. That's what she did. On the walls of Jericho, her house sat between the walls up top, and that's where the travelers would come in, and they would come out, and the people would come and go. She kind of sat in the seedy part of town, and she operated her business, and nobody in town that was respectable would want to be associated with Rahab the harlot. Nobody would ever want to be associated with her. Nobody would ever be want to tie in to her. But here's the beauty. She's mentioned with Abraham right here in James. Did you know she's mentioned with Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 in the roll call of the faithful when it talks about by faith what these people did in the Old Testament. But do you know where else she is mentioned? And it's the only place that she's not mentioned is Rahab the harlot. In Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of our Savior Jesus Christ both Abraham and Rahab are mentioned together again. It's the only time in the Bible it's not Rahab the harlot. It's just Rahab. As the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. And it was by her faith in Jesus, by her faith in God, that she was counted as righteous and part of the genealogy of our Savior ran through her veins. So she was tied to Abraham in a lot of places. Verse 25, though, James ties her together with a huge statement. When it says likewise, that is one word in the Greek. That kind of means a bunch of things in the English. And what it literally means is in the same manner. And so what he's saying is Abraham, he's justified. Rahab, well she's justified in that exact same way. They're on the equal playing field. The man of faith and the woman of ill repute, they're justified in the exact same manner. And she also showed her faith in her works. And so what did Rahab do? Well, let's remember the story in Joshua chapter 2. She was 
inside the city of Jericho and the Israelites were outside the city of Jericho about to make their way inside the city of Jericho. But there were some big walls that were in their way. Now in Joshua chapter 6, you all know what happened. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I contest that Jehovah fought the battle of Jericho. But nonetheless, the walls came tumbling down and the Israelites went in. They ransacked the whole country. They took it. It was a great military battle. But did you know that before they did that, they had went in with some spies. And when the spies went in, the, the army and the government of Jericho were looking to find them. They heard they were there. They were looking for them. They wanted to get them. They wanted to kill them. They wanted to run them off because they were afraid of the children of God. And Rahab the harlot, the most unthought of he heroine, I guess. Started to say hero, but she's a woman. I will be... Uh, gender specific in my comment as to be politically correct. The most uncommon hero, heroine, messed it up. The harlot, the one who runs the house of prostitution, brings the spies in. She hides them. The government comes by. She says, they're not here. She had already talked to the spies, though, and what did she say to them? What did she say to them? In Joshua chapter 2, it says that she says to them, the Lord your God is God. The Lord your God is God. She had already confessed that God was God. She had already seen what he had done drying up the Red Seas and stalling up the Jordan River. She had already seen him do all of those things to protect the Israelites and she said their God is the God. Their God is God. None of the gods of my people, none of the gods that I grew up with they, they don't do those kind of things. They're not God. And so immediately, she was justified at the moment that she believed in God. When she said, the Lord your God is God, I believe 100% she was justified. Righteousness was imputed on her behalf at the point in time when she believed. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. She went on when, when things got tough. She stood and she, by faith, said, I'm going to trust in God. If the government finds out I'm hiding these spies, they'll kill me. They'll tear my place down. They'll ruin it all. But I trust that God is all over these people. He's going to protect them, and he's going to protect me too. So the spies said, throw the scarlet thread out. Anybody that's in the house with a scarlet thread hanging out the window, when we come in, we'll spare them. And that's it. Only the people that are inside your house with the scarlet thread hanging out the window. And sure enough, that's what happened, right? They came in. They ransacked the city. The scarlet thread hanging out the window. Rahab and her house were set apart. They were delivered, and they dwelled with the Israelites from then on which is how she became a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It was by her faith when her life was on the line. And so what are these miraculous displays of faith? I want you to notice that their faith was on the line when their life was on the line. That their faith was on the line when the chips were being counted, when things were tough for Abraham, when it was time to sacrifice his son, his only son. For Rahab, when the people were closing in on her and she was hiding the spies and she had a decision to make, will you be faithful to God or will you succumb and do the things of this earth? Doesn't say anything about the way they went to church or how nice they were. It was that they put all their hope and all of their dreams 
and all of their life in the hands of God. And that is a living faith. A faith where I say all my everything is in Jesus. All my everything is in Jesus. All my everything is in Jesus. So first Abraham, then Rahab. We're going to look finally at verse 26 really quick. At the final example he gives. And it is a corpse. How convenient, right? It says the body without the spirit is dead. When he says the body without the spirit is dead, that whole phrase literally refers to a corpse. A dead body, lifeless, laying there. He says without a spirit, the body is dead. There's no movement, there's no breath, there's no life. But he goes on to compare it to something else. He said, so is faith without works. Faith without works, it's just like that corpse. There's no movement. There's no breath. There's no life. And so James is calling you to look at yourself. Do you have belief without behavior? Do you believe and not obey Do you claim to believe yet refuse to serve God? Or in the direst of circumstances when things are on the line, will you choose to honor God no matter what the cost? No matter what it costs me, I'll serve the Lord because all my hope is in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for Abraham, the father of the faith. We thank you for Rahab, the harlot, Lord. That we can see their faith on display and realize that you, all the way back in the Old Testament, were a God that cared for your people. And God, we can be faithful to put all of our hope in you. And you will never leave us nor forsake us. So God calls us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves a few questions. Am I living my life according to a living faith like Rahab and Abraham did? So that when people look at me, there's no doubt who I belong to. And if I am not, why? God, you have your way and your will for the next few moments. And we thank you in your sweet name. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.